0: Now it's time for Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorff,
1: the number one relationship advice radio show in the U.S.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Dr. Love. It's my pleasure to be with you again this week. So I have a question for you. Have you ever felt so down and out that you can't see a way out of the hole you're in? My guest today, the lovely Brianna Ladapo, knows firsthand about the divine personal journey from darkness into light and the collective journey that we have all undertaken as human beings incarnated on earth at this spectacular moment of transformation to move out of separation consciousness that keeps us locked into patterns of conflict, suffering, and destructive behavior. In her book, How to Return to the Light When All You See is Darkness, Brianna takes us through her troubled tumultuous childhood and a deeply religious family who believed her extraordinary intuitive gifts to be the work of the devil. As she struggled to adapt to a world in which she felt completely alien, her desire for self-preservation and acceptance led her to actively suppress these gifts. And the result was a great deal of suffering, including chronic migraines that regularly put her in the hospital, severe physical illness that nearly killed her, persistent dark visions of tragedies she couldn't prevent, and countless sexual traumas and abuses that seemed to define every relationship in her formative years. And this led to a deep distrust and fear of others, incredible self-doubt and loathing, and ultimately a very dark depression. Finally, an encounter with a divinely gifted healer reawakened her gifts and taught her how to truly free herself from her trauma and experience a life she loves, invulnerable to programming, fear, shame, or external influences. My guest today, Brianna Ladapo, she's an intuitive spiritual healer, movement therapist, and teacher. She has a master's degree in English from Harvard University and has studied traditional naturopathy, plant and herbal medicine, and shamanism. And she lives in Florida with her husband, who happens to be the Surgeon General of Florida, and three boys, where she works with nonprofit organizations to heal trafficked and exploited children. And without further ado, I want to welcome you, Brianna. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you, Dr. Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so lovely. So to do, would you like to begin... By sharing your own story, because when you tell... I, I read your book, and I just adore this book. I At first, when I read it, the writing is so gorgeous that it reads like a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. And I mean, really brilliant, beautiful metaphors, and just absolutely page-turning, which you don't expect when reading a memoir. So here... Your story explains your darkness and all the struggles and what you went through as a result of literally having to murder your soul to survive in that first family and then how you emerged. So would you like to share your story with everyone
3: watching and listening? Sure. And thank you so much for your kind words. That means the world to me. I wrote this book in hopes of it being of service to someone, and um, that perhaps someone who can, or anyone who can relate to this journey, will benefit from it. So, when I was a little girl, uh, I have very vivid memories of being happy, joyful, just so cheerful, a little ball of light, but everyone around me was very dark. And I'd like to clarify that I say none of this with the intention of disparaging my birth family. Uh, I love them and wish them well. Um, however, I certainly did not fit in and I was born into a family where my father's side was very fundamentalist Roman Catholic and my mother's side was very fundamentalist Protestant to the extent that they believed their singular building of uh, churchgoers was going to heaven and the rest of the world was going to hell. So not even (laughs) their extended congregations and family made the cut. So I was essentially born into a religious war in my house. And they were vying for my allegiance from the day I was born. And um, so much of what I remember of being a little girl is just fighting lots and lots of battle and um, lots of dogmatic arguments. And this says this, and this says that. And I remember being about three years old. And I only know that because of the room that I recall standing in at the time. It's where we lived and watching this happen and thinking, I don't think this was God's intention. (laughs) I am sorry. I can feel this incredible love and this divinity. And I'm pretty sure you're all wrong, but I didn't have the words at three. Um, And even as a um, a little one, I always heard my angels. They were like my friends. They were always with me. There had never been a time when I didn't hear them. I thought it was normal. I had no idea that not everyone was having this experience. And so because we define the world through our experience, I went ahead and spoke freely about it to my family. And that was a mistake. Um, they started telling me that was the work of the devil. That was Satan talking through me, that there was something wrong with me that I needed to repent.
2: And, um, wow. It's so fundamentalist. It's unbelievable. It's medieval.
3: It is. And, um, I was very angry for a long time and, um, We'll get more into what that looks like. And it's taken me a very long time to to understand and have a, a more elevated perspective about not only why they were that way, but that it actually really served me yes. in uh, taking the journey that I've ended up taking. So I'm very grateful for it at this point, but that was yes. not always the case. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I became miserable as a child. I tried so hard. To, to be myself and bring light and joy. And every time I did, it was it was like being smacked in the nose with a rolled up newspaper or shoved in a corner. And it seemed like the, the brighter and happier I was, the more I offended all of that. And I didn't understand it. It's as if my very presence was so offensive that they just wanted me gone. They wanted to get rid of me. So I reasoned as a child that the best way to survive my situation would be to put a lid on it. Just stop talking about it, suppress those gifts. So I started actively ignoring them. I stopped listening to the angelic voices that I describe a little bit in my book, but they had saved my life literally many, many times, kept me out of bad situations, warned me about evil presences around me, and I had not had that. And I had inherently trusted it until my family taught me that I shouldn't. And the second I stopped listening to those voices and shut off my intuition, I got myself into a world of trouble. Um, It was a physical illness began. I had very, very serious migraines to the point that my parents thought I had a brain tumor. They started taking me to various specialists, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I would go dark for days. I would be in so much pain. I couldn't handle light or sound. I would vomit literally for days and end up on
2: fluids and Mm -hmm. nobody could figure it out. And um, you really uh, like bursting at the seams from the rage because you know your head was blowing off the top of your body because you were so angry to have your soul be annihilated.
3: It's amazing that you say that because I didn't even acknowledge rage or that I was even angry till many, many years later. Um, I don't want to fast forward too much, but... Um, when I started working with the, the healer that ultimately freed me from all that rage was the number one emotion that came screaming out of me at a level that I didn't know I could hold. It actually scared me <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, much better now that that's been transmuted.
2: Um, oh, forgive me. Where was I? I'm sorry. I distracted you. No, with no. That's an
3: amazing day. point because I didn't figure that out at the time. I really thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I must've come out wrong. Maybe I took a wrong turn somewhere on the way to earth, but I definitely didn't feel Um, like I belonged here. I used to lay under the stars. Yeah. I used to lay under the stars and um, pray for somebody to pick me up. I didn't even know who I was praying to. (laughs) I felt like my friends were out there somewhere, um, especially after I saw ET. That did me no favors. Oh, yeah. Um, That's
2: really for me. (laughs) Phone me
3: home. (laughs) Beam me up, Scotty. Oh, yes, boy, anything. And um, so- not, not your
2: also, book, This was an excellent sentence. Eventually, I started to believe them and began making myself smaller, more normal in hopes of avoiding their judgment and criticism. You became a people pleaser, you said in the book, which is so inevitable, right? In that kind of upbringing.
3: Yeah. And I was good at it too, because since I'm- relatively empathic and I can read people and what they want easily, it was so simple for me to just conform to whatever was in front of me and who I was around. And I had no idea what it was costing me. But every time I denied my soul and who I really am to make someone else happy, I was killing my own light. Absolutely. This went on for many years and it took many forms. And a lot of it, unfortunately, was sexual abuse, sexual assault in nearly every relationship I had. And that was especially difficult for me because having grown up in this ultra religious household, I was saving myself for marriage.
2: So oh, I yes, thought,
3: you no, know, like intellectually I wasn't putting any of that out there. So it was very confusing for me when everything I got in return was some form of assault or abuse.
2: You know, if I can jump in, this is something a lot of people don't get. And uh, what happens, I call it a heat-seeking missile function. So (laughs) brain, when you have buried anger, murderous rage is buried, your unconscious says, you're a killer in your heart. You're a bad person. You deserve to be hurt and punished and raped and injured. And that's why when the buried rage is there, people become magnets for abuse and sexual abuse. And it is such an amazing thing. The minute that rage is brought to the light of day and not buried, all that heat-seeking missile stuff goes away. But so I'm not surprised you became a target of the violation because the unconscious was finding a way to punish you for all that rage that was buried.
3: Absolutely, I was emitting a frequency that I, I didn't even know. And it's—I love that you said heat-seeking missile. About, yeah. I have three little boys who love to play Mario Kart. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever played, but there is a weapon—a little red shell—that is essentially that. And so, my husband and I joke: it's—it's it's like the red shell in Mario Kart. It finds its intended target. Whatever frequency you're putting
2: out there, you're emitting. That's exactly what you draw back to you. And it's a form of weird creepy punishment, self-punishment because the unconscious is very primitive. So it says, oh my God, you're a killer. You deserve to be punished. I mean, I've had thousands of patients (laughs) over over the centuries, (laughs) the decades who have come to me with that. I'm going to die in a crash. I'm going to be punished. I can't fly. I'll I'll, I'll die in a crash. And every one of them, if I, I help them to own that they're in a rage and suddenly, oh, I can, I'm not afraid to fly. I'm not afraid to drive. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm not getting attacked. It's a remarkable thing, but, but that's a really, you know, psychoanalytic way of understanding how the brain messes with us when we have buried anger and boy, were you being messed with by your married your buried anger. Oh, oh my God. Yes. I read what you went through. It's amazing. You lived from the, the pain and the sickness and the migraines. I mean, it was terrifying. You know, it's so
3: funny is for so many years, I feel like all that emotion, even after I'd left the situation was still lingering right under the surface. It was just low. So no matter how sanguine or happy my exterior, all that rage, and it was fierce, a really ferocious anger was right under the surface. So what would often happen is I had been so conditioned to be acceptable and unobjectionable and kind and well-behaved, that I would encounter someone who wasn't, (laughs) who uh, either was immoral or unjust, because I have a a very strong connection to divine justice. And um, I would be confronted by a terrible situation. And in my head, of course, I would know exactly what what I would want to say and how to handle it, but what would end up happening is I'd be so paralyzed by my rage and fear that I'd shut down altogether and say nothing. I would disappear into the wallpaper. Or I would have a nuclear response, an incredibly outsized reaction that often the recipient did not necessarily deserve. <laughs> that was really years of built-up rage and angst Absolutely. and anguish and
2: so. <laughs> would trigger it absolutely I call that the please pass the salt moment the please pass okay I got expressions for these crazy so please pass the salt is a man says to his best guy friend I think I ruined my marriage last night he says what do you mean he said I was sitting at the table with my wife my kids her parents the in-laws and I made the worst Freudian slip of my life I turned to my wife and I said, You fucking bitch, you've ruined my life. When all I meant to say was, Please pass the salt. <laughs> <It's> exactly. <laughs> right. Oops, it just slipped oh. out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah.
3: Uh, and that's gratifying, too, because when it happens, so often you think you're the only person going through it or the only yeah, person
2: sure.
3: <laughs> you think, what's wrong with me? What- <laughs>
2: what happened? Oh, yeah, right. Everybody, and, and then the oh. more you stuff it down, the more you're like oblivion, which is 50 pounds of poop in a five pound bag. That bag is going to rupture at the seams at any moment, you know? It just Definitely. can't. You can't contain it all, and so of course you're going to start getting psychiatric symptoms, physical symptoms. What are you going to do, right? I did. I had
3: so many different things going on, and so beyond you know the sexual dysfunction and the social dysfunction, and me actively seeking out very self-destructive behaviors and situations. Um, the, the physical symptoms got really interesting. Um. I feel like I should say that from the moment I left my family, I graduated from high school and I got out of there, I immediately started back along a healing path. I was still suppressing my gifts, but I knew something was missing and that I couldn't exist the way that I had in that household anymore and be happy. I didn't know the answer what to do, but I started doing anything I could. I did landmark and avatar and traditional therapy and all kinds of alternative modalities. Um, anything I could get my hands on and it all helped a little it, it all gave me a tool here or a piece of wisdom there that I was able to carry forward. but of course none of it solved my largest problem, which was letting my gifts back out again and not suppressing my soul anymore so i'm I'm floating along existing this way, exploding on poor unsuspecting souls every couple of weeks or so. the people on low sodium diets right. <laughs> And I I had been in a serious relationship in college with a very sweet, wonderful guy who, in retrospect, I realized I had been drawn to because he was so kind. He was the very opposite of the men in my family. But of course, I destroyed that too. And when I did, I took that to mean I just wasn't the dating or marrying kind and would just be alone for the rest of my life happily. No marriage, no kids, no nothing. And then I was on a trip with my girlfriends to celebrate my freedom.
2: <laughs> and you're in love the Virgin how you Describe that. That's like a a chick a chick novel. You know, it's just so romantic <laughs> the way you describe your your meeting Joe. Oh my God, a total freeze up. Here we go. Do you, do you see when the love energy <laughs> was strongest? Total freeze up. <laughs>
3: But I'm grateful. It's love energy now. I used to walk down the street and set off car alarms with my
2: furious rage. I know. So this is much nicer. <laughs> you described the meeting of with him so beautifully in your in your
3: book. Thank you, my my amazing Joe. You no, know, it's been about almost 20 years now. Wow, we've been and he is still my very favorite person in the world. But that day, uh, my friends and I had gotten back on the plane to go home, and we didn't want to leave. We were having an amazing time in St. Thomas. So we were at the beach till the very last minute, and we got on the plane. all oh, gross. Sunburned, no makeup, <laughs> bathing suits and sweats. And I was planning to read my book and ignore everyone on the flight back. And at the time, I was living in San Diego, taking a year off between college and grad school. And I'm sitting on the plane. And all of a sudden, the most beautiful man I've ever seen, physically, energetically, soulfully, everything, walks on the plane. I thought, oh, no, <laughs> this is the last thing I need right now. And I slumped down in my chair and I hid behind my book. It's Like, I don't see you. You don't see me. This is not happening. So I had planned to just hide until he walked by. But he took this seat right next to me across the aisle. And I thought, okay, that's it. I'm just going to ignore you. I'm going to look forward. This is not happening. And he struck up a conversation. And I couldn't not talk to him because he was right there. And at this point, I'm desperately telling myself lies. Like, oh, he's so attractive. He couldn't be intelligent or kind. He's probably a jerk. I'm saying all these things to (laughs) myself, The things you tell yourself and you're trying to talk yourself out of something. And we start chatting. And this man is... Easily as brilliant, kind, empathetic, moral—just a beautiful soul, uh, amazing just as much all those things as he is physically beautiful. And um, even though I had suppressed my gifts for quite a while,
2: while at this point, now oh, last year, guess what? What was playing? Thus, the screen sharing turned on all by itself. Oh, how it, funny! It just it just turned on. i'm sorry i'm sorry it's a circus with me my hands are nowhere near the computer so you know it's not me (laughs) it's actually nice that it's not me this time (laughs) i know you're like you don't even want to know me because you think oh it's a vacation now all this weirdness has to happen with her now okay Oh, no. My
3: husband makes fun of me when he's working on a paper or something important, and I come visit him in his office. He makes me stay by the
2: door. He says, you don't come near my computer. I love you, but toes behind the table. Exactly. Listen, we, let's take a break. And when we come back, you'll tell more about the story with your husband. Okay? Perfect. Be back in a moment.
1: Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDoctorlove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDoctorlove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets
0: to take advantage and grow your business? Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets.
1: You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorfcom slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorfcom slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf.
2: Hello again, and welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm talking with Brianna Ladapo. Brianna, did you notice that you started to cough? Okay, so you started to cough right when my Love Never Dies book commercial began, and I'm going to tell you why you did. This shows how intuitive you are. My husband left his body from a fatal bee sting, and he suffocated in front of my eyes. After he left his body, I had a massage therapist who was a shaman come to see me. And after I did not know him, and after six weeks, he phoned me and he said, I want to tell you, after every time that I see you, I am choking and coughing, and I have to pull over on the side of the road to clear my lungs. And I said, oh my gosh, my husband's spirit is coming through you, and in some way inducing in you the physical sensation he had right as he left his body. Oh, my goodness. And I saw you, heard you cough as soon as the Love Never Dies commercial began. So you picked up his soul essence, and he gave you the sensation to prove he's with us.
3: That's remarkable. And I was wondering what was happening because my throat suddenly felt like
2: it was closing. Closing up. Yes. That's- I thought- oh, Brianna, oh, I-, I have chills from head to <sighs> That is so wow. extraordinary. And of course, you don't know me. I don't know you. We're meeting today for the first, I mean, girl, you are <laughs> hell of an intuitive. Thank I, I am absolutely blown away. And I had to tell you why that happened to you.
3: Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you did. My goodness. Uh, very often but I had to- you haven't... thought,
2: what the heck is that? Why yeah. is this happening to me? But he really- <laughs> He, it was his way because he's been playing tricks. He really wants us to know that he's present with us in the show. And he, this was just a little piece de resistance to say, uh, <laughs> the man who it as he left oh, his spot, isn't that something? So, anyway, let's come back to the story with you <laughs> and your beautiful Joe. So,
3: we ended up on that plane having an incredibly beautiful conversation. And we hadn't been paying attention to much other than each other. <laughs> and I had forgotten that that morning, Hurricane Charlie had started as a tropical storm in, um, in the Virgin Islands. And we didn't realize it was slowly following us up the coast. So it should have been a quick five-hour trip back up to JFK, where I would have gone back to the West Coast and he would have gone back to Boston where he was in medical school at the time. And um, all of a sudden our plane was rerouted to Jersey. When we got there, there were many other planes rerouted, circling the um, the airport. We circled so long, we ran out of gas, we had to make an emergency landing, and we had long since run out of food and water. It had been almost 20 hours at this point, we're sitting out there, and a man had a cardiac event of some kind on the plane right in front of us. Joe helped save his life. Right in front of me, and I'm still in denial. I'm still saying, "No, no, he's probably a serial killer." Yeah, <laughs> and,
2: yeah. <laughs> no, he likes to kill them and then revive them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so this man is just perfect, and he's so kind. And at a soul level, in retrospect, I definitely knew I knew he was my soulmate.
2: Well, you were just so scared; it's understandable, you know, that you just like, "No, no, no, I don't want anybody near me. I'm going to just make up a story." He's a <laughs> Murderer,
3: yeah. So when we finally got to the airport, which we had to run to across the tarmac because lightning was striking, (laughs) lightning struck the airport, we lost power and a riot ensued and we got separated. And the moment we were separated, finally, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, what if I never see him again? And then he fought his way back through the crowd to me and got my phone number isn't it this is, you
2: see why I say it's like a, a romance novel <laughs> and yeah. it's in this beautiful romance movie too it's just so beautiful and visual and then and then you see how the natural reaction is and I read your book and I, and I'm saying and then what you see <laughs> and then what and then uh, we both went
3: back home and that wonderful started calling me. I was such a stubborn pain in the butt that I did not pick up the phone for almost three months. I was telling myself all of these, I know, I know,
2: I really do regret it, but it worked out okay. <laughs> no, I think it was meant to be because it showed he was tenacious enough and devoted enough to not give up. It was part yeah. of the story. It had to be that way. That's
3: true. But I finally came to my senses one day and I answered the phone because I just couldn't not pick it up. And he told me that he was going to give up. That was the last time he was going to try.
2: Yes, of course.
3: My angels had my back yet again. And for the next year and a quarter or so, we spent all night every night on the phone. Because of the time difference, uh, we both had roommates. So I would hide in my closet and talk to him all night. He would hide out on the porch, which is not fun in Boston in the winter at all. <laughs> Poor guy would be out there freezing. And we'd t- For six, seven, eight, nine hours, almost every day. And we didn't even realize we were falling for each other. And then I had a reason to go to Boston. And we saw each other again for the first time since the plane. That was the end of that. Six months later, we were engaged. I had my stuff packed and shipped there. And I just didn't go home again. Well, that became my home.
2: Exactly. You didn't go to the biological home.
3: Yeah. And uh, that was that. And we had such, still do actually have such an intense, amazing connection. And we were so happy. But what started to happen, especially after a couple of years goes by, is all the trauma that we had both brought into the relationship that we thought was resolved, but wasn't, started to get in the way. Yeah. And um, he wouldn't mind me telling this because he has shared this publicly, but he also was sexually abused and had a lot of other trauma coming in. And even so I thought in my mind, okay, I've done all this work. I've done, you know, Landmark and Avatar and therapy and
2: da-da-da-da-da. I thought I was okay.
3: <laughs> I was not okay.
2: Wait till you get into a relationship. Then you find out how not okay it is, right? Right.
3: Especially if it's someone you have that intense. Absolutely.
2: You know, soul connection Absolutely right.
3: It's like a mirror, right? They reflect back to you everything that you're experiencing
2: and not expressing. But he was also your soul twin. It's yes. not as common to find men who have been sexually molested. And yet here you had a soul twin with the same trauma as you. Yes.
3: And to me, it's unbelievable, too, that he had the courage to say it. I he know. dealt with it. He said it out loud. He's an
2: amazing loud. guy.
3: He really is. Um, I wish everyone... Could know him as well as I do because, of course, the media loves to go after him, but that's what they do. But he truly is the most remarkable soul I've ever met, and um, he's still my favorite person. So uh, anyway, things started going badly, and the irony is it was never stuff that was directly between the two of us. It was always old baggage, intergenerational trauma, sexual trauma, all these other things that are very much triggered by intimacy right? Being in love with someone makes you vulnerable. So all the ugly stuff comes flying to the surface and things really started to break down. And we were trying, we've always been good communicators. So we're trying to work through it. And um, we had, I got pregnant with our first child and my body shut down. I almost died uh, more than once. And no one could ever even figure out what the problem was. Um, I couldn't even keep water down. I was on an IV.
2: I was skeletal with this giant baby in my tummy. But you uh, know, it was the same symptom you had as a kid where you were puking and you couldn't keep food down. It was like you were being poisoned and you had to vomit out the poison. And it was right when you were pregnant. So it's like it brings up your own childhood again. Another baby, you know, it, it starts again. Yeah. And early,
3: early in that pregnancy, um, I think I was only a month and a half or two along, very early, I had gone back home, former home, to visit my birth family, which I would say I regret, but I really can't because it's been part of this amazing journey. And um, the short version of this story is my mother in particular was extremely unkind to me. She was really enjoying my suffering. And that was hard for me to confront because even after everything that happened, I wouldn't have wanted to believe that, but it was made very clear to me that she was enjoying seeing me having such a hard time, almost like I had finally gotten what I deserved sort of energy. And some of this she said directly. (laughs) Um, So all of that, you know, I'm absorbing into this, this tiny this, this little soul in my body. And it really triggered all the trauma all over again. So I ended up violently ill my entire pregnancy. But the miracle was my baby was always perfect. So even as I was literally dying, he was perfect. He was never in any
2: danger. Well, like your ago, body was saying, I'm being killed. I'm being murdered. Yeah. I'm dying. I'm dying. And it was like symbolic of what was happening to you on an emotional level. You were dying. They did kill you. They killed your soul. They killed yourself, and your body was expressing it. You're like a body poet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I love
3: that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, luckily, I, I had a very healthy baby. Ultimately, but I was incredibly ill for 18 months after, and in and out of the hospital for weeks oh. at a time, and I couldn't figure it out. I had a big team of doctors, all of whom were baffled. And they told me I'd never have more children, that it would kill me, that I shouldn't do this. And at the time, so, you know, my Joe is a classically trained Western medical doctor. He went to Harvard. He has an MD and a PhD. He is essentially the pinnacle of academic achievement, but they're trained in a certain way, as you know. And um, so he very much believed at the time that what the doctors were telling me is what I should do and I should entrust my fate to the system. But at some point I realized it was killing me and that I was never going to recover if I remained. The
2: and the drugs were adding to your toxic load. Yes. You know,
3: I, I'm so sensitive. I can't even take Advil most of the time. Oh, no, I ended no. up
2: in the hospital when I took Advil. Oh, well, nice you and I, I are it. so like, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. When you're this sensitive, you cannot process. No, it's it's like an assault. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I I didn't know. And of course they're throwing one drug after the next at me and then I have a side effect. So they give me a new one.
2: Oh oh God. This is what kills the elderly.
3: Yeah. You know, just medicated out of my mind. I couldn't even feel my soul anymore. I was so numb. Oh my gosh. And then a lot of, they were giving me painkillers and you know, that's, you disassociate, especially if you're already in pain. It's almost a welcome feeling on some level to have to deal with it. But thank God my angel started screaming loudly. You're going to die if you stay on this path. So one day I fired them all and I walked away from Western medicine and I got myself a naturopathic education. I started studying shamanism and energy medicine and nutrition, but holistic nutrition, not classical nutrition. And it took a while but i finally healed myself and um so my focus this whole time had been still on the physical so now i've been through this amazing journey i've healed myself physically and i just think i'm doing great well
2: <laughs>
3: not so much my sweet husband's ptsd was really starting to surface around this time because of course he had had to take care of me so he's you know he's going through a medical residency and then in the beginnings of his career at NYU, I am deathly ill. We have a new baby. I can't work. So he's experiencing probably a bigger stress load than he has since the time of the abuse in his childhood. And of course it triggers him. And then his triggers trigger me. And our marriage yeah. started to fall apart. Yeah. And we realized that we needed to do something radical and um, some time went by in here as we were trying different things and we did end up having two more beautiful healthy boys and I had my pregnancies were still difficult but not like that first one because I did not resort to medication and all of that but after we finally had our third uh, the stress for both of us just reached an absolutely critical point where we were about to implode and I really didn't know what to do. I had tried everything I could. I had called on my guides, my angels. Now, unbeknownst to me, they were, of course, answering my prayers. I just hadn't seen it yet. And one day, I was confiding in a friend of mine how devastated and how lost I felt. because I felt like I had, I had been through hell and then found this amazing soul, my soulmate, my twin flame, and this beautiful bliss, only to have it ripped away again. And I didn't know what to do. And he said... I have someone I think you need to meet. And he gave me a brief description of someone. And he said, now now he's really out there. So maybe read his book first. And I could tell he's sort of gingerly posing this to me. But most people would consider me pretty out there too. And nothing scares me. So he said, bring it on. (laughs) Please (laughs) show me this person. So he gave me his name. I ordered his book and his picture is right on the cover. I didn't even need to open it. When I saw his face, like when I saw yours, I had this deep soul resonance and knew he's the one, he is the person who can help. So I got a hold of him and we chatted on the phone for a while. Even his voice, I knew this voice, I knew I knew this man, but I really hadn't woken back up yet. So, um, under great protest, my wonderful husband went to spend a week with this healer and you know joe is so scientific and so database and so brilliant this was not his first choice of avenues i did push him into it but for the right reasons and that wonderful man loves me so much that he did it because i asked and i couldn't believe the difference i saw in him um the first day he came home things weren't really different, but I could feel energetically he had shifted a little bit. And the thing that surprised me the most, is he had always had an entity, a dark entity hanging off of him since the day I met him. I could always see it. I knew it wasn't him. I felt like it was from his maternal ancestral line, but it had always been glued to him. And this first day he came home and it had moved a little farther away almost like it was a, like a shadow, like Peter Pan's shadow, instead of being just part of his being. And then by Wednesday, he came home and the whites of his eyes were so bright. I couldn't believe it. And this entity was a couple feet away. And I noticed with our boys, he was present. He was happy and he was actually having fun. And it, he was always a wonderful being. That was never the question, but stress would trigger his disappearance. So any little stressor and he would just leave his body. Well, it's like that stress.
2: <laughs> I The leave his body is quite an amazing expression because I, I use that expression. I coined that expression to describe when a person, quote unquote, dies, we leave our body. So you said he leaves his body every time he was traumatized. In the present, it would reactivate the earlier trauma and, you know, like tweak the PTSD. Yeah. You don't know this, that last year I published a book on PTSD. Oh, you're kidding. No, you, we I mean, were meant to yeah. meet. It's like, I'll send it to you. So it's um, a, new, a, a new method that I've developed for reversing PTSD. And oh, it's wow. my energetic system upgrade. You, you, it is so crazy how we were, you know, how we were introduced was through Sherry Tenpenny. Oh and yes, Tenpenny, Doctor Tenpenny had an energetic system upgrade with me, and in one upgrade, she said something that plagued her her entire life was ninety percent gone. So, and you did I didn't know about the PTSD piece in your story till I read your book. So we were meant to meet for sure so let's take a quick break. excuse me here we go again you're in commercial here it comes <laughs> oh my god amazing we'll be back in a moment <coughs> <Lots of love. laughs>
1: Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love reaches millions of radio listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group as everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other relationship advice show broadcast anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDoctorlove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at askdoctorlove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage
0: and grow your business? Want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call because the best prices are not online. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner. Call today and get the best price on your next flight, guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets.
1: You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait, space is limited. Visit com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf.
2: Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm talking with the wonderful Brianna Ladapo, author of How to Return to the Light When All You See is Darkness. You know, I was thinking, maybe in the last segment, you might want to talk about the the last portion of the book, which is so fantastic, where you actually explain the steps you took to heal from your own trauma and your intergenerational trauma. Would you like to talk a bit about that section of your book? Yes, absolutely.
3: So um, after Joe worked with uh, this man whose name is Christopher Maher, and the results were so extraordinary, I decided to do the same. And the work we did that week would really take hours to describe (laughs) but um it really was transformational and if i could narrow it down to one major major point or healing modality it would be learning how to transmute my trauma so we did a lot of transmuting the traumatic energy that was locked into my body and i very quickly learned that if you do not feel it leave it's not leaving (laughs) So it was not an easy experience. It was very intense, but it was remarkable. The things that came out of me um, physically, vocally, spiritually, just in every way were absolutely incredible. And, um, He uses a combination of ancient disciplines like majing and meridian theory in combination with some more modern techniques to um, really take your trauma out of you. And the experience is different for every person. It depends on what you're holding. But for me, a lot of the focus was on sexual trauma. And I learned in that process
0: through the visions that I had come up.
3: I had actually come from generations of sexually traumatized women. And the reason I chose to go through that was to be the person who broke the cycle. And that was a very powerful moment for me. Because up until that point, I didn't think I had anything to do with this. (laughs) I I thought of the trauma as something that happened to me rather than something I had co-created myself for the purpose of having a particular experience and having my soul grow in a particular way to lead me to remember who I really am at a soul level and then to be able to share that experience. Because right now, where we are in our human experience as a collective consciousness it's walking wounded. There's so much trauma on the planet right now. And generations after generations of deeply unhealed wounds. And unfortunately, those things carry forward indefinitely until someone breaks the cycle. So the biggest thing I got out of that week and my subsequent work was really taking responsibility for the fact that I created my story. Every experience I've ever had, the wonderful and the terrible, were my own co-creation. And I had a very good reason for doing that. And that managed to deflate all the rage that I had been carrying around for, uh, truthfully, I don't know how long. Um, I do believe in multiple lifetimes and... Um, I had many memories of several of those, most of them very violent, very ugly, lots of death, lots of murder, lots of destruction at the hands of religious organizations in particular. I had a lot of that come up and out of me through this work. And it really led me to realize that, in my opinion, the greatest gift we can give each other is our sovereignty back. We need to learn how to reclaim ourselves as magnificent creator beings. We are powerful. We're stuck in a paradigm and have been programmed to think that we are and should be small, powerless, compliant. But that's been done to us because the opposite is the truth. We're incredibly powerful. We are magnificent creator beings. And so my last chapter is a breakdown of things that you can do right now with or without additional healing or training or anything at all to raise your vibration and i know a lot of people out there throw around the word vibration in a casual way but the truth is your vibration determines your experience in every way it's like what we were talking about earlier with the the heat seeking missile or the mario kart shell what you're emitting at even an unconscious level is what you're going to receive so Practical steps you could take to raise your vibration. One of them is do things that bring you joy. It sounds so simple, but I think a lot of us have this idea that unless we're suffering, we're not not doing it right. We're not working hard enough. We're not earning it. But the truth is, this was not meant to be a plane of suffering. This is meant to be a plane of joy and experimentation and creation and fun. And that's what we're traveling back toward. So if you love to cook, you love to garden, if you love to do math, um, like my husband, I think it's weird, but that's fantastic. (laughs) What brings me joy is running around with my kids or swimming in the ocean, whatever it is. Do it, make time to do it. Because when you are are in the beingness of who you really are at a soul level, you raise your vibration and that affects everyone and everything around you. Another really important thing to remember is just focus. So in every interaction or situation, you choose where to put your attention. So there's an example I use in the book that's actually, I use that example because it's something I saw once. So there was um, a, a lovely elderly woman going down the street with her purse and a, a young kid, uh, teenage years, ran by and grabbed it. And then um, you know a crowd came, someone tried to catch him, the woman fell down, someone else helped her up and a lot of people rushed to her aid. So there are two ways to look at the situation. Right? One would be to focus on, oh my God, what a terrible world we live in that a person would steal from and knock down a little old lady. Or you could say, wow, I live in a community where all of these people immediately jumped to a stranger's aid. They tried to help her. They tried to do what they could. They, they formed a, a circle of love around her and repaired the situation. And I, I would never say the experience that you have. So if you focus on the positive raises your vibration. So you'll experience more of the positive. And of course, the same is true for the opposite. If you focus on the bad parts of life, that's what you'll attract more of. Um, I love the phrase, what you resist persists. (laughs) Excuse me. I believe he's here again. (laughs) Um, I spent so long thinking that I was focusing on the positive because I was doing it with my brain. But I was not actually embodying it because I, I was still so traumatized that I didn't believe in the good of humanity or anything else. I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I, I was always expecting the next terrible thing, and faith in humanity. So, from that perspective, the only thing I was ever going to get without removing that trauma was more of the same, right? More badness, more low vibrational experiences. And one, there there's several, but uh, the other big one I'd like to mention, just because I think it's so relevant to the times we're living in, is be mindful of what you're consuming. And I don't just mean food. Of course, it's very important to treat your body with love. Uh, we live in a world full of toxins and chemicals. So Do what you can to minimize your exposure, drink clean water, eat fresh local food when you can. But beyond that, we live in a culture where news and other
2: media is available 24 hours a day at the drop of a hat. The cycle is so fast. Right. Negativity that sells. So that is perpetually what we're confronted with. It's very easy to get
3: drawn into that and end up with a view of the world that is very depressing. think, oh my God, humanity is terrible. It's negative out there. Every time you take something like that in, it is lowering your vibration. Now it doesn't mean pretending bad things are not happening. They are, that is a fact, but the more productive thing to do, not just for yourself, but for everyone that you are touching with your energy is to focus on how you can change that. Even if it's as simple as sending love, doing a meditation to take yourself out of that negative vibration and just ground yourself so that you can do better for the people in your life. Any little thing you can do to stay out of that cycle of negativity is healthy.
2: I didn't know. I can't believe you and I could talk for seven hours or six hours or eight hours. I can't believe this, this, this show just flew by with you. (laughs) Basically you have to read the book. Because it's, you're fascinating to talk to, you're fascinating to read, your heart is so pure. And you just have to run out and buy this book, How to Return to the Light When All You See is the Darkness. And just because we're, we have to close now, but my door is open to you. You'll come back anytime. Okay? Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Really. So just tell everybody how to find you, and then we won't say goodbye. We'll say so long your yes. website, whatever else you want uh, to give me Yeah, you. my
3: website, it's, it's my name, um, briannaladipo.com. Uh, my book is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and I am on Facebook and Instagram under protest, but I'm trying, <laughs> but I would be delighted to hear from uh, from any and all of you. God bless you all.
2: Oh, thank you so much for being with me today. It was so wonderful seeing you and meeting you and getting to know you.
3: Thank you and so I- much, Dr.
2: Jamie. You, you too, and we'll we'll be in touch soon. And everybody watching and listening, I'm doing something that is fun that I've never done in my life before. I turned 65 this summer, and I am taking the summer off. So I will not be broadcasting shows this summer, and I will see everyone back in September. Like the song, see you in September. That's when I'll see you all. <laughs> <laughs> Take great care in the meanwhile. Thanks, bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Sign up for Dr. Jamie's newsletter at askdrlove.com and receive her meditation audio that will guide you to open your heart and chill out during these stressful times.